You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. So we've looked at these truths in God's Word about being chosen and about uh, being redeemed. We come to the last part of these first 14 verses this morning, and that is that we are sealed for His glory. Chosen for His glory, redeemed for His glory, and ultimately sealed for His glory. If you found your place, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll actually begin in verse 3 this morning, since we've seen this intro so much. We'll begin in verse 3 and read down through verse 14. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And our focus this morning, verse 13 and verse 14. In Him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Father, we come before You this morning again in Your Word and we ask for supernatural insight. We ask that Your Holy Spirit would come and would be our teacher. God, that He would open up our eyes to see wonderful things from Your Word. That where we are blind, He would remove the blinders that we could see the depth and the height and the breadth of the love that You've given to us. God, may we, may we grab hold of what salvation truly is this morning and then to only know that we've just skipped off the surface. So God, would you open up the well this morning 
And may we drink deeply from Your Word. I pray that if there is a person here this morning who's never trusted in Christ, God, that they would see their need for Jesus today, the, the promise of this Holy Spirit. Would You come and would You convict their hearts of their need for salvation? And, and today I pray that they would be saved, that they would turn and trust in You with all of their hearts. And Lord, we pray this all in the precious, the only name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And so we have seen clearly three pictures in this book so far when it comes to the Gospel. We've seen this glorious picture of election. And and though it may be mysterious and and foreign to us in so many ways, I I hope that we have come to, to find it to be precious as we understand it from God's Word. We've seen the picture of redemption in which we have redemption through His blood, verse 7 says, the the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. I I hope that you've seen that in in a fresh way and it's become even more precious to you. But then we come to the third truth this morning about the Gospel and it really... It really closes kind of this section and and brings some completeness to it, if you will. This idea of being sealed. You see it there in verse 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed. The emphasis there is on that particular Clause. The way that this is structured, he's giving some identifying remarks, some time stamp, if you will. The ones of you who heard the Gospel, the, the ones of you that heard the Word of God, those of you that have believed, those of you that are in Christ, you need to know this truth this morning. Paul says, you were sealed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What does the word mean? It is an official mark of identification. It was used in a, in a contract or in important documents. The seal was usually made with hot wax and it was, it was placed on a document in order to, to give that, that document authority. This seal, this wax was placed on the document and then a signet ring was placed in the wax. The seal of that king or, or that statement of authority as if to say that this document cannot be broken. This document comes with uh, the, the kind of authority that would keep man from breaking it. The authority of the person who wore the ring and bore the, the sign. So for example, when Daniel was thrown into the, the lion's den, how many of you remember that story? The, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 17 that when he was thrown into the den, a a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. The seal marked the authoritative decree of the king. And nothing... No one in the kingdom could break that seal. Or you might remember in the story of Jesus that once Jesus was buried, crucified for our sins and buried there in the tomb, that there was a stone placed there at the, at the, at the mouth of the tomb to guard the entrance 
And you might remember the story in Matthew 27 where the Jewish leaders actually asked permission to take and place a seal, the Roman seal, over that tomb that it might not be broken. Anyone who would defy the the Roman government and break that seal would be killed. The seal was a mark of divine, was a mark of, of authoritative decree from the Roman government. But we know that that seal was broken. Amen? We're going to celebrate that in just a couple of weeks. The seal was broken because there is no, there is no authority which God does not ultimately give. No authority that does not ultimately bow the knee to King Jesus. And three days later, Jesus broke that seal and was raised from the dead. Amen? And we celebrate that on Easter Sunday morning. So when God places a seal, not the Roman government, not the Babylonian government, whenever God places a seal, it is a seal like that signet ring, but this seal could never be broken because it bears the authority of Almighty God. And so, whenever the, the, the redemption of the saints is sealed, it is forever Seal. When Isaiah says, fear not, God says to the prophet Isaiah, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. This is the very stamp that you and I as believers have on our lives. It is sealed, done, secure. It cannot be undone. And it is there forever and ever and ever. And so... Here is my message to you this morning. Believer, you and I must have unshakable, unshakable confidence in God's perfect ability to keep you. You need unshakable confidence in God's perfect ability to keep you. So much doubt and confusion over the gospel and what it means to be saved in our world today. And I I dare to say in the church today and so many Christians wondering, am I really saved and how can I really know and believer? I, I want you to hear me this morning. You and I in this gospel, the biblical gospel can have unshakable confidence that we are sealed and secured for all of eternity because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. And you need that confidence today. You say, how can I have that confidence, Pastor? Well, the text is showing us, again, the same way as we saw redemption, the same way as we saw this election, this this plan for sealing us has its roots not in the day that we were saved, but rather in the, the, the time before God ever created the world. It was sealed from eternity past. So notice if we just back up out of verse 13, you'll, you'll see kind of this context in which he places this seal. Notice verse 11. In him we've obtained, and he uses this word, an inheritance. An inheritance. He tacks on to that, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now we've already addressed that subject. This is something that happened beforehand. Before the foundation of the earth, God, God formed us, God knew us, all before the foundation of the earth. And it says 
that there was an inheritance, verse 11, set up for that time. Well, keep reading. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Then he says, In Him you also, by the way, those of you who, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of of your salvation, and believed in Him, that's the ones he's talking about. He says, when you heard that, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Well, that's interesting. Because Paul describes this moment when you believe the gospel and, and God at that moment places His seal upon you. We'll see how that works. But the seal was for an inheritance that God had pre-established from the beginning of time. This is, this is a plan that has its roots far before you and I were ever born. And so this completion of the passage, it only makes sense that if God has a plan from the beginning that He elected and that He redeemed and that He sealed and it says to you and I this, don't miss it, that God's plan for salvation will not fail. You and I can't be not saved if we've been saved because it depends on God to save and God cannot fail. That is good news this morning. That means I don't have to wait around and wonder, am I, am I really saved? Do I really have eternal life? There, there is this reality that you and I, because we've been saved, our lives are hidden with Christ in God and you and I have nothing to fear, nothing to wonder about because Jesus has saved us. Jesus has saved us. There are two sides to this doctrine. There is the side of the security of the believer in which God is acting on behalf of believers and He keeps us. And the other side of this doctrine is the perseverance of the saints. There is no question that it is God who is keeping us and that those who are really saved keep Going. We see that throughout Scripture. Hebrews is wrought with with these pictures of continuing in the faith. Don't turn back. Counting the blood of Jesus as as worthless. No, you you keep going, keep going. First John says that those who are that that walk away from us were never among us. There is a picture of the, the perseverance of the saints, but it is not that which Paul refers to. Paul wants to place embedded in the minds of these believers that if you remain, know this believer, it is because God is acting on your behalf. Maybe to state it simply, God keeps the saved and the saved keep going. God keeps the saved and the saved keep going. But the text puts all of the emphasis on God's keeping. Therefore, my rock-bottom confidence, don't miss this, believer, my rock-bottom confidence is not in my ability to keep going. My rock-bottom confidence is in the fact that my God keeps me going. He keeps me Absolute confidence in God's ability to keep us, and so we keep going. We have in Baptist life a saying. Some of you could say it before I even get it out of my mouth. 
We have in Baptist life this saying that says, once saved, always saved. I'm not sure that it's helpful. It's true. It's absolutely true. Once you are saved, you can never be unsaved. Once you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you are born again, you cannot lose your salvation. But the phrase, the phrase tends to place all the emphasis on the point, or at least we do when we think about the phrase, we put all of our emphasis on this point sometime in five years ago, ten years ago, thirty, fifty years ago, We put all of this emphasis on the point where we made a decision to follow Jesus. We put all the emphasis on the point where we prayed and where we were baptized and where we walked an aisle. I decided to follow Jesus and normally all of our confidence, the confidence in our salvation is centered centered around or centered on something we did. That is not at all to undercut what we did. If you followed Jesus, it is because you really decided to follow Jesus. But at the bottom of that, underneath that, is some greater thing that's holding us than our ability to keep ourselves. It is because God is keeping us. We were sealed. It is a guarantee from Almighty God. Having its grounds in eternity past. The the final decisive factor for me remaining saved is not my ability to persevere, although that is the fruit of it. The final decisive factor in me being able to keep going is that God is acting in me. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in you to will and to do His good pleasure. Now, Paul does not at all undercut the value of human decision. And I don't want to do that either. Notice here in verse beginning of verse 13 when he gives this statement. He says, when you heard the word of truth, you heard it. The gospel of your salvation, this is a personal experience. You believed in Him, something you actually did. If you're here this morning and you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is a very real sense in which you decided to follow Jesus. So when we sing that song, amen, I have decided to follow Jesus. You can sing it in truth, amen, amen. But if, all, if that's all there is, I don't know about y'all, but if, all, if that's all there is in my life, I, ca- I can't keep going by myself. I can't keep going. The, the emphasis on the text is that God is the one who is keeping me. What is it that you heard and responded to? Don't miss it. You heard the Word. It is God who revealed Himself through His Word. He took that initiative. It is the Word that brings about faith. God saved. And the phrase, again, serves mainly just to put a time stamp and an identifying factor on the people that Paul is talking about. He's saying, I want you to know I'm talking about the saved, those who know Christ. When you heard that word and you believed, God was doing something in your life and it was His plan from 
eternity past. You really believed with all of your heart. And listen to me carefully. If you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus, the call of the Bible upon your life is to repent and believe the Gospel. But know that there is a God who is working for you in ways you cannot even begin to think or imagine. Immeasurably more. So just real practical before we begin to just kind of pull that apart. That means, how many of you have had a good day lately? This is a really good day. You've just felt like, you know, I was following after Jesus today and got things right. You know, I was, obey, I was obedient and things were good. It means if God is the one that is keeping you, it means that on your best day, the glory belongs to Him. It's not anything that you mustered up to try to figure out how to do. And God, yes, is proud of us as His children. We are, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. There is no question about that. But don't miss this, believer. Anything good you do is the Spirit of God who made you born again and who is bringing about sanctification in your life and conforming you to the image of Jesus. You're being changed. It's God who's doing the changing. Don't take credit for your good day. You give God glory for your good day. Amen? Here's what this means also. How many of you have had some really bad days? I could ask you, and you probably, everyone in this, some of you in this room right now would raise your hand and say, I'm having my bad day right now, Pastor. You know what this means? If you're a believer in this room, it means that on your very worst day, God is keeping you. On your very worst day, when you've totally messed everything up, you didn't make a right decision in all of your life, you think your life is a mess and nothing in it is recoverable, praise God because of His grace, He's doing something in your heart and in your life and He's redeemed you, He has called you by His name and He is securing you and has secured you until the day of salvation. You have nothing to fear doesn't mean that you go, okay, I'm good then, I can have a bad day. No, that kind of grace says, come and follow Jesus, obey Jesus, love Jesus, and abandon everything else. God keeps you. So what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, Paul puts some support underneath this. If, if that's the truth, he, he comes and he, he builds this great foundation underneath what it means to be sealed by God. And there are three important truths. Number one, you are sealed in salvation by God. And this seems to be kind of repeat of what we just said, but I want to just build this for you. You are sealed in salvation by God. Notice in verse 13, he says, after he gives this this identifying statement, those who've heard the word of truth, those who've believed the gospel of their salvation, he says that you were sealed. You were sealed. That is a passive statement. In other words, you didn't do it. God did it. God sealed you. 
And this is really good news because the, the final decisive factor, as we've already said, in your staying saved is not your ability to do it, but God's ability to keep you. There's a beautiful picture in John 10. If we had time, we'd turn to it this morning. But beautiful picture that describes Jesus. Jesus actually describes Himself as the Good Shepherd. Love that, love that story. So many places in John. There's actually two I am statements right there in John 10. I'm the door and I'm the good shepherd. And, and he describes himself as that. Peter picks up on that statement for pastors and it's a really, a really close passage to my heart when the, when the chief shepherd appears. And, and so Jesus is our good shepherd. So he says in John 10 verse 14, and we'll just pick up a couple of these pieces. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Isn't that good news this morning? You have a shepherd of your soul. This Psalm 23 written by David but that that applies to us this this shepherd who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of of death. He leads us. We have a good shepherd. But notice what Jesus says about Himself if you just keep reading. Verse 27. He says, My sheep hear My voice. So if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you recognize the voice of the shepherd. You recognize the voice of Jesus. He says, And I know them, and they follow Me. And I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. Listen to this statement. And no one will snatch them out of My hands. Verse 29, My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus is holding on to you, Christian. Jesus is keeping you. And if that's not proof enough, Philippians 1 verse 6, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jude 1, verse 24. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. 2 Timothy 1, and verse 12. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I, who I have believed and am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me? We, we are being kept by God. Secondly, you are sealed in salvation with the Holy Spirit. You are sealed in salvation with the Holy Spirit. So he says, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him were sealed. Then he adds a phrase, with the promised Holy Spirit. The promised Holy Spirit. So what is he describing? Well, there was promises made. God made promises to His people, His covenant people. He made multiple promises to them. The, the Abrahamic covenant being, being probably the one we highlight above all of the rest. And then the Mosaic covenant. He made promises to His covenant people. Jews. Here in this passage, he says that he is making a promise. The promised Holy Spirit, it is to us as well as the Jews. And we're going to pick up on this theme all throughout Ephesians. But this promise that is coming is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The one that we have. 
John 14, Jesus made this promise. So we just pick up this just a few chapters over in John. In John 14, verse 16, He says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, and listen to the phrase, for He dwells with you and will be in you. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, verse 26, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. In days gone by, God's presence was promised through the tabernacle, this tent of meeting that would go, but... But as the the people of Israel would walk with the Lord and this tabernacle would be set up, it would be among them but still kind of distant from them. Well, they can't go into the holiest place and and know God on this intimate kind of level. They would have to stand back at the mountain's base and see what God is doing at a high place from a distance. But never until now would they see the glory of God in the person, the face of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says... And I'm going to leave my helper, my presence with you. And he will be with you and he will dwell in you. So God has said, I'm going to save you and redeem you. And I'm going to set my signet ring upon you. It won't be a ring, but it will be my very presence. I'm going to save you and I'm going to stay with you to make sure you go all the way to the end. It's my seal. This is why Paul says in Romans 8, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. That's why he says that if you have the Spirit... The Spirit of God dwells in you. You belong to to Christ. The Spirit of God does not dwell in you. You do not belong to Christ. The measure of our security in God is not anything we have done, but ultimately in the presence of Christ in us and among us. It's a mysterious assurance. Rooted in truth. Believed upon in the Gospel, but given mysteriously and supernaturally. And you know... If you have this, you know when the Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God, that God has saved you and no one can tell you any difference. But your confidence is not in you, but in God Almighty. It's the third thing that Paul says. He says that we were sealed by God. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then he says that you are sealed in salvation to an eternal inheritance. To an eternal inheritance. He writes, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So much in that one statement. You need to know the word guarantee. You should underline it in your Bible. The idea, the down payment. A pledge. In the New Testament, when it is used throughout the New Testament, it is only used in Paul's writings. That's significant. 
Not only is it only used in Paul's writings, it is always used with reference to the Holy Spirit. It's the only time we see it. And so like you might pay a down payment in order to purchase a home or a car, there is a sense in which it is a promissory kind of a note when you make that down payment that you're going to fulfill your obligation and you're going to finish paying. It's a little bit different whenever God seals us and guarantees us with His Holy Spirit. He makes the payment in full up front. And what we have not yet received in full, we get to experience a foretaste of now in this life. And the Spirit is the guarantee that we will experience the fullness of that one day. Now, what is the inheritance? It is all that God has stored up for those who love Him and eye has not seen nor has ear heard. We have an incredible, incredible God who has made the depositing guarantee for our inheritance not simply promising us that this is something we will get one day, but something we are, in a sense, already receiving. I love how Peter sums this up and we... This is such a beautiful passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what, is he, what has He caused us to be born again to? What is the living hope? An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by the power of God are being, listen, here it is, guarded, kept through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So if you're in Christ this morning, you need to know that He's keeping you. And by the way, He's keeping you for the praise of His glory. We sang a song earlier, a song that would be familiar to you. It's a song, Blessed Assurance. Fanny Crosby, who was blind, died at the age of 1915, actually lived quite a number of years, almost lived to be 100 years old. I don't know how many of you knew that. Fanny Crosby wrote that song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. She uses the words, Oh, what a foretaste. Glory divine. She, she knows something is waiting for her and she's experiencing only a small measure of it here in this life. It's not that verse that gets me as much as the one that she says, visions of rapture now burst at my sight. Fanny Crosby, for those of you who do not know, from the age of seven weeks old, was blind. Blind basically from birth. And she sings, Visions of rapture now burst at my sight. The same woman singing, Blessed assurance. I am certain 
that Jesus is mine and that there is an inheritance stored up for me that I'm only getting a foretaste of. And it's not because I've done anything, but because Christ in his mercy has saved me. Jesus is mine. And a woman who was blind from birth sings that with confidence. Believer, do you have that kind of confidence in God? When you can't see and you can't figure it out and the pieces don't seem to fit and your questions remain unanswered and your life is full of suffering and pain and you think, where is God in my life now? Do you have the kind of confidence that says, I know where my God is. My God is keeping me and I will see Him face to face. I want to invite you to bow your heads all across the room. Some of you this morning may be having your very best day. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in the fact that our God saves and that He loves you. Some of you, some of you are somewhere between your best day and your worst day. And for some of you, you're already at your worst day. And you don't know what to do. The Bible would call us this morning as believers to put our confidence in God. Our confidence isn't in our own own abilities. Our confidence is not in the world around us. Our confidence is not in things and events and powers and rulers and leaders. Not even in a country. Not even in a people. Our confidence is in God. And when you put your confidence in God, it is secure, unfading, unfailing. Some of you this morning, your confidence is in something else altogether. Romans 8 says that you will know whether you're a child of God by the Spirit of God within you crying out that I'm a child of the living God. And some of you don't even... Have that confidence this morning and you need to be saved. You need to cry out to a holy God who loves you and today who is willing to hear the cry of a sinner's heart and save you if you'll come and trust in Christ. You know, I don't know what it's going to be like on the day that we see Jesus face to face. I long for that day. But I want everyone in this room to know and to see Him even now in this kind of assurance. Would you stand with me all across the room? I want to pray. And these altars are going to be open. If if this morning you need to receive Jesus, I want to invite you to come right where you'll be standing. Just step out into the aisle and come down this aisle and say, Pastor, today, today I want to be born again. And we'll share with you what that looks like. Maybe you need to join this church or follow the Lord in baptism. Other decisions need to be made in this room. Today is the day to decide and to follow Jesus with your life. Lord, we... Today, long to see You. God, we know that there's coming a day we'll see You face to face. But today, God, we we desire to live a life that is pleasing to You and to know You intimately and personally. And so, God, I ask that You would move in hearts in this room and draw all men to Yourself. And I ask it in Christ's name. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. 
We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ. Thank you.